This is Academes, a podcast about women in academia, living the dream, or are we? Dames, Sarah here. Welcome to your first Academes Journal Club. If you haven't been to a journal club before, allow me to explain. Journal clubs bring people together to discuss a topic often covered in an article sent out beforehand. Many times in Academes Journal Clubs, Whitney and I will reference an article that we've shared with each other and at least glanced at. We'll link to those in our show notes. But there's no required reading for Academes Journal Clubs. Instead, they focus on our expertise and experiences as women in academia, women with bodies, homes, friends, employees, partners, religion, children, and so much more. And we hope that you'll contact us to share your expertise and experience on these and other topics. Together, we'll build the hive mind that we're working towards as academes. Enjoy. You, you use the chat app, Sarah. You use the chat app to send me I an article. Yes, about the topic we're going to discuss today. About I heard it called emotional labor, mental load, invisible labor, kind of that suite of complaints that a lot of academic women have about their relationships in their private lives and their professional lives. Yeah. So when I was going through and looking at the different um, articles, there, th- what I first came upon was division of academic labor, mm-hmm. like women doing a lot of, a lot more service, a lot more teaching, a lot of the kind of caretaking roles. But that's, I am as much interested in that as I am what, what I would like to talk about today. But I would like to talk about division of household labor today. Are you on any um, of the Academic Mamas Facebook groups? I am. I'm on one of them. I didn't know there were multiple. There are. One of them has like an exclamation point at the end. (laughs) One of them does it. But on one of them, and I can't keep them straight, this is a very hot topic. Oh. So what are they saying on the Facebook Academic Mamas? A lot of it is women who are in heterosexual relationships, married with kids. Uh, One woman talked about like going on strike from doing stuff around the house, uh, feeling like her husband didn't contribute or notice. Um, Some of it's just venting and feeling like a lot of the work of managing things, doing things, noticing things falls on them. Yeah. And I, Ben and I talked about this yesterday. We were um, at a friend's house for dinner and um, I mentioned that, you and I would be talking about this today. And Ben got irritated might be (laughs) too much. But he was definitely like, oh, God. I mean, the thing is, is he's not dismissive of me. I think if I were to guess about what emotion he's expressing when he exhibits what I view as irritation, it's a combination of guilt and like helplessness. Yeah. Like, what What can I do to make it better? 
Think, so maybe, yeah, go ahead. I think with my husband, it's also sometimes guilt. I feel like he's the most frustrated when he feels guilty because sometimes he is just really busy and he wishes he was around more. Uh, but I think there's also this strain of, I do so much more than my dad or any of the men that I grew up around do, mm-hmm. you know? And yep. I think that can be frustrating. That's a great point. I mean, the bar is really low for our husbands and yeah. for men in general. It's like there's nowhere to go but up <laughs> from our parents' generation. But I, I also feel like you don't get to sit around and pat yourself on the back for doing the dishes. Because the, the crap that really bothers me is the emotional labor part. Like, I think it was originally a Harper's article, and then it was picked up by the New York Times, and it became a really big thing about, you know, the kind of the thing that none of us could put our fingers on. But even if our partners did half of the work, the household work, there was this like, overarching, frustrating, ever-present labor. And it is the emotional labor of scheduling the play dates, of making the social calendar, of, um, I mean, remembering that the toilet paper is about to run out, Um, like sending the gifts. And I will be honest with you, I buy nobody gifts. I don't believe in gifts. Um, But it's it's all of that and like just transferring the crap from the school calendar the school emails to our google calendar it it's never ending and it's my brain constantly going to figure out what needs to go on the list next so i will say because i haven't said it yet ben participates in an extremely wonderful ways and he will do anything i ask him to do and this is going to sound shitty of me i'm sorry but I want him, I want to not have to ask him. Is that too much? (laughs) So I think, I think another phrase that's been used for all of that stuff is kind of mental labor and also invisible labor because it doesn't feel like tangible work to people. All that kind of managing and the background hum of trying to make sure you're not forgetting something and like keeping everything in your head and keeping all the schedules. And so it seems like you're not doing anything even when you are. And it's something that's often just not visible, because especially because now it's on our phones and it's on our computers, and it's actually just not visible. Um, and I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of marriage you want, what kind of relationships you want. People do it all kinds of ways. There are some articles that say that people who are in relationships with very traditional gender roles are just as happy or happier than other couples. Sometimes there is an appeal to being in a relationship where everything's very clearly defined that this is your sphere. This is my sphere. So each person gets to have control and each person has a limit. It's not like this ever growing bolus of things that need to be contested. So the friend's house who we were over at last night, um, another couple who was there is a lesbian couple. And so I asked them about it and they said that it, I mean, consistent with what you're saying that, um, In some ways, because there was a New York Times article years ago about gay couples and how the traditional gender roles aren't necessarily there. And so, you know, things can kind of be split up however you want. And there may be less resentment for that reason. But they brought up this point that you're, you know, raising, which is that there's 
actually more to negotiate um, because it isn't straightforward and there's no assumptions being made. And so they have, I think she said, one of the women said that they have like weekly meetings mm-hmm. about you know, who's going to do what that week. To me, I don't like that sort of negotiation. I want it to be set. (laughs) Uh, So it's like sometimes taking the care of the kids is easier when Ben isn't around just because there's no mental negotiation of like, okay, I got up last time. Should he get up this time? You know, there's no mental trade-off going on. So you Um, like the idea of having it as like set spheres of these are things I do, these are things you do. And checking in and communicating about how it's going and how we're feeling and all that. I mean, I don't think it needs to be that way for the rest of our lives. But um, I also I, I find it taxing to ha- have to continue continuously renegotiate those those things. Yeah, I'm with uh, you. Yeah, I like having different things. Like Louis is the person who cooks in our family. I deliberately don't cook, and there's a trade off to that because I think there can be something good about learning to take care of yourself. I have a friend who recently was the same way. Um, but she said, you know, I, I was really feeling disempowered and I'm like, I need to know how to feed myself. But I was really inspired by um, stories of women like, I think it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, on the Supreme Court, who her husband was the family cook. And the stories I hear about women who really advanced far in their careers um, in the mid 20th century Often it's either they don't cook and they have a partner who does or they have a partner who stays at home or does there's something that they just kind of defined as something they just don't do to take something out of the negotiation and contention. And so I think I've deliberately pursued that in some ways. I'm turning learned helplessness on its head. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, I have so many things to say. So I'll just pick one. I have a male colleague um, who for... um, probably I don't know how many months basically didn't talk to me because I said to him um, that he and another male colleague um, I don't even remember exactly how I said it um, but we were talking about productivity and I was like it's not a fair comparison you both have stay-at-home wives and he was pissed he was so mad like wasn't returning my text was <laughs> mad <laughs> What and were you texting him about? Just like social stuff? Yeah, I mean, we're friends. I see. And, um, but he was really upset. And I mean, I, and what he said after he started talking to me again is like, you don't know me. Like, you don't know what my situation is. And I, I mean, I, I mean, I do know him, but yeah, I'm sure there are a lot, there's lots I don't know about him. But at the end of the day, I know what it is to be a wife. Yeah. And I, I know the kind of, wor- and if, I know what it is to be a wife um, who works full time yeah. um, and I know what it's like to be a wife who works part time. And I can tell you it doesn't look a whole lot different. The difference is in our lives is that I'm hiring. I told my running buddy yesterday I'm hiring a wife. Yeah. I want a wife to do all the crap that I don't have time to do that I used to have like just enough time to do when I worked half time. Yeah. Like all the different crap that I have to do. And what ends up happening is that I do that stuff and Ben gets to be the fun parent who plays with the kids. And I'm the lame parent who literally just earlier today, I was removing the grout from our sink and re-grouting our kitchen sink. Or what, I don't even, what, what ceiling grout? I don't you know do what it is. I've never even thought of doing. <laughs> I am a really good 
uh, handy woman. Yes. But, um, and Ben is increasingly, but anyway, another thing I want to say <laughs> is that um, I think it sucks that I have to hire somebody to do it, but I think that's marriage preservation. Yeah. I also don't like how we got there, which was... Ben and I had a unique opportunity to eat dinner alone on a weeknight, Mm -hmm. and it ended up me being complaining about being sick. And I said, if I didn't have so much shit to do, I wouldn't be sick right now. (laughs) And yeah. You're a public health hazard. Yes. (laughs) You. And you know what? He laughed at me. And I was like, oh, no, you did not just laugh at me. (laughs) So our resolution was that we were going to hire somebody. So we're going to hire somebody. Why do you think he left? Do you think he left because he feels like this is stuff that you take on that you don't have to take on? That's a great question. Um, I don't think that's what it was. But I mean, that's a good question. There, There is the, the issue of different expectations for cleanliness, for yeah. like how much you eat out, for just the way things get done in a house. Yeah. Because one choice is just to have a like less lovely life. <laughs> just to have a dirtier, less well put together home and life and schedule and social life. Have we not discussed the fact that I'm a highly sensitive person? <laughs> I'm very influenced by my surroundings. Yes. It really matters to me that my house is tidy yeah. and cozy and i don't like it other ways yeah but that the conversation with the man so it sounds like your male colleague where you all were somehow comparing your productivity in some way and you said that it's it's not a fair comparison it's interesting because i mean there's all kinds of metrics like People could say, well, you know, somebody who has a full-time stay-at-home, like, person managing their household, that's an obvious benefit. You could say the same thing about financial resources or people whose parents are nearby and who can do childcare, um, people who have better health than other people. It's interesting. Like, do you think it is a valuable comparison to bring in? Um, I think it's relevant um i think that's as far as i'll go um and i so so this is the issue that it comes down to for me is like we know let's actually talk about the article (laughs) in question today we know that women still and all ranks by the way associate to full do the majority of household labor yeah even when it's two um academics in a marriage. Yeah. Um, and so the question I have is, should we get a handicap for lack of a better word? Um, that's one approach. Another approach is I read about um, a PI in Germany who got a grant to get to get all of her um, like postdocs and faculty um, housekeepers hmm. because she found that a problem for them was, I guess, in Germany, if for among some groups, like cleanliness is a really big deal. Mm. And keeping a clean house is a really big part of being a woman or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was like, I'll fix it. I'll pay for your housekeepers. <laughs> um, so that's another solution. Or like, guess what? I do 60% of the household labor in my house. I should get, um, you know, a, a 10% handicap <laughs> in my productivity. It's an idea. Yeah. What do you think? 
it's an issue that's at one point it's kind of a micro issue, but then there is this macro issue and, and the macro issue, this, the way we structure society, this does fall on women more period. And so I think if you're really interested in gender equity, you have to consider that at the micro level, I could hear women who have stay at home husbands or who are in lesbian relationships and have stay at home wives or who are single and don't have Mm -hmm. children feel like, you've made a choice about the way you want to live. Um, and that's just life. There's also just, I don't know, people with a greater capacity to work. There are people who just like working more than I do, even if I was single. And like, I want to get a handicap on those people sometimes. Um, <laughs> another way is just to totally try to change the culture of academia. Like we've talked about that academia is really built for men who have a stay at home support system whether it's a wife or a mother or a sister or whatever so maybe what would it look like in a world where that's not assumed is that even something we can imagine so let's think about what components that would include more flexibility with schedules it's some um i'm interested when i talk to people who work in europe and it's a very competitive academic environment but they say they actually look down on people who are at the office late like they're kind of set hours people take their breaks um and people are actually like if you're working all the time you're not efficient just the culture is something's wrong with you if you're not taking your vacation like Maybe something's wrong with you. And I think the American cultural norm is different. We want to hear from you. What do you think of this episode? Tell us about your experiences in academe. You can reach us on Twitter at academespodcast, by email at academespodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 919-666-7301. And if you like what you hear, rate us on your favorite podcast app. It'll help people find us. I feel guarded in saying this because I don't want people to think that I'm judging them, but I'm judging you. Um, I have the same feeling when I, I mean, I think part of the the thing about this colleague that part of what I'm thinking, he's talked about this openly with me about sometimes feeling like he can't be very efficient, but that's my reaction to your working 24 seven is you're not doing it right. There's yeah. something going on if you are working that much. Um, and I think be, for me, being a mother has really kicked me into gear that when I'm working, I am working. I'm not, you know, for the most part, like on social media or I'm just nose to the grindstone. Like I've got this to do. I've got to leave at 3:15 and yeah. I'm going to get it done one way or another. Um so maybe it's maybe it's not a fair comparison because we you know at, it, back to your question about you know is it is it fair to compare you know between my male colleague and me and probably not. But I think it's useful for you to plan out how you're going to run things when you're in charge of the whole university industrial complex. <laughs> So, I mean, I I am interested in your question of like what that would look like. If I were in charge, what would it look like to make things easier? And I think the sad thing is that I have a really hard time imagining an alternative to what we experience. And I think that's probably a little bit of 
the problem with changing things in general is that we all have this as our mental model and it's really hard to reject that and start with a fresh slate, a clean slate. Some of it's just the metrics too. In academia, it's like, well, two papers is better than one paper, you know, (laughs) more grant money is better than less grant money. And so it's just an easy way to calculate impact and worth. Um, But that might not be the only way to calculate worth because I think a lot of women contribute to academic environments in all these ways. Like now we're talking about the emotional labor of being at work or, you know, saying people need boundaries and respecting vacation time and respecting efficiency. And that contributes to a better workplace. Um, And those things aren't valued. Yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, Morris, I think, famously works, I don't know, 100 hours a week. (laughs) Um, He is in the office all the time. And he says all the time, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, he's very open and um, encouraging of people to have work-life balance in a way that he doesn't, you know, his kids are grown and all that. Um, But I... um, I'm really interested in some work by Iris Bonet recently on designing for equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, she talks about things like hanging up pictures of women leaders in mm-hmm. the hallways. That, that kind of representation seeps into our mental models of who should be in positions, um, in leadership positions. And so as much as I think it is important to have a leader say, listen, I know you have young children, blah, 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 blah. Um I, I can honestly say that I'm not looking at Morris thinking, oh, he's saying it, but he doesn't really mean it. I actually do believe that he means it, but I wonder I wonder if just having people who do work all the time um, and who are at the office a lot doesn't kind of seep in. And if we could, I don't know how I would adapt to that, because I think for me, at least a big solution might be just encouraging flexibility mm-hmm. Um not letting people be like, oh, I haven't seen you in the office for such a long time. <laughs> I just shrugged my shoulders and made a wide-eyed expression. <laughs> Do you get that? Do you get that from yeah. people? And I try not to take it personally because there is, is this undertone of judgment. But I think even sometimes I say it. And sometimes I genuinely mean it. Like, oh, I haven't seen you. And so I try to d- take a deep breath and assume that that is the spirit in which it is meant. But yes, I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do too. And I will say that to people too, but I often follow it up with like, oh, it's me. I've been, you know, running around. I will say I'm very, (sighs) in any environment I can, I will be emphatic about I'm not in the office 40 hours a week. I, I, you know, I don't work regular hours. Um, I, I try to be as vocal as possible about that, recognizing that, you know, that's a liability. Um, but so when I say to people, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen you in a while. I say, oh, you know, I've been uh, doctor's appointments and picking up my kids and whatever. And I try to normalize that. I do talk about it a lot with my students. Like I'm pregnant right now. And so I just have a lot of doctor's appointments, even more than normal, because uh, my pregnancy is a little high risk. Um, And so I I tell them, like, I'm headed out to another doctor's appointment. And I try to talk about that. And if I'm leaving early to go to something at my kid's daycare, I talk about that. So within my research group, I do try to be really open about that. And so I think we've ended up talking some about the work environment because I asked you about that. But you started really talking about home. Um, 
I don't know. Right now, I'm not that mad at my husband, so I'm feeling optimistic. <laughs> you said you had a nice morning. Together. Yeah, we had a really nice morning. <laughs> That'll do it. Yes. So, I mean, I, I, I'm also very aware of the fact that I'm privileged in the sense that I can hire somebody yeah. to be my wife. Yeah. Um, and I know that not all academic women can do that. Um, and I will tell you that probably two years ago, I had a near meltdown doing summer camps. Whitney, you will experience I don't want to do summer camps. I don't even want to hear sorry. about it. Yeah. I, I just... I Ben and I got in an argument about something, and I was like, "It's the summer camps. Yeah. You have to do the summer camps." And he took it over. Yeah. And so that I mean, right? I gave him summer camps, and oh, he, he did do it. it. On he, yeah, he, that's from amazing. Then on out, he does summer camps. He does it, and he does a great job. Slow clap, Sarah. Um, I know. <laughs> Good job. So I mean, I. And and part of it is that there are things that I don't want to outsource. I don't I don't want Ben to do them, and I don't want somebody not in our family to do them. Or I don't even I just I want I want to do those things. Um, and for me, I think this is why it's such a fraught issue is because of my own guilt. Like I should be doing the things that I am outsourcing. I should be scheduling summer camps. I mean, I do feel judged by other mothers about the amount of time I'm at home every time I show up late to the bus stop every time. So, okay, there's this quote. Um, I Somebody tweeted it, but it was, um, so I don't even know who said it on NPR, but it was from NPR. And um, they said, we expect women to parent like they don't have jobs yeah. and we expect them to work like they don't have kids. And that is how I feel. Yeah. This was so interesting when you said you feel judged by other mothers. And it's interesting because I think women who don't work a lot feel judged by women who work a lot. Like there's so much judgment. And I didn't know where you were going because you did used to have a part-time schedule and you talked about being at the bus stop. And I thought you were going to say, oh, I feel judged by women who work full-time that I'm like able to pick up my kids. But you went in a different direction about being late. And it's just funny that I didn't even know what direction the judgment was going to come from because there's so much judgment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. do you think that's, um, I think sometimes it's like the company you keep. So right now I'm in daycare, full-time daycare, all the other moms and dads. I mean, everybody's either a single mother or they're two working households. And so that's like my milieu. So it feels really normal. Like I'm the last person to pick up my kid often. And I'm like, eh, <laughs> I don't feel judgment. And I wonder how it's going to change when I'm in the public school system where it's more of a like mix of people with different expectations. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. You know, the company we keep really influences these perspectives, which is why I'm enthusiastic about this podcast, because, I mean, I'm hoping that the people who are hearing this hear themselves and what we're talking about, at least in some ways. And so I think normal normalizing experiences is really important. And I do think that, you know, I live in a neighborhood with a lot of stay-at-home parents. Um, and I, I, it seems like in the South, people have parents who live nearby more than other places or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I, um, 
you know, we live a different experience from a lot of the people who we live near. Um, and I do have a lot of academic friends, but I, I don't know a lot of people who are in our position in the sense that we don't have family nearby. We, um, we both work full time. Um, and I, again, kind of in, in the spirit of normalizing experiences, I think that is a big key to Mm -hmm. addressing this. And, you know, I, I do feel like culture is changing a little bit in terms of what is expected of fathers Mm -hmm. um, and men in general. And um, that's good. And I think we need more of that. And I think encouraging men to socialize more (laughs) is a good thing because Ben, I think the more he's exposed to other um, men in our demographic is like, oh, that that's a thing that you do. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I don't. Sometimes Mm -hmm. Louis will judge other men who are not as helpful as they should be to their like (laughs) wives and i'm like yes yes um i do want to um go back to applaud you for get asking ben to do the summer camps because i think even though the constant negotiation is fraught and annoying being able to hand over something that big like it sounds like it was important and you needed to do it and um there are ways in which i've tried to set norms that are different in my relationship I talked about the cooking but then also when I had my son it was really important to me that my husband take some leave time at least a month of leave time where he was the primary parent and I think that helped us a lot Um, because when I was on leave sometimes he would come home I think I've talked about this and he'd kind of be like so what have you been doing all day I noticed you know the dishes aren't really done the you know laundry's not really folded and I feel like I've been taking care of a baby all day (laughs) and I love to tell the story the first day that I went back to work and he was you know the stay-at-home parent while he was on leave for a month and I came back and he was in his pajamas and he looked crazed and the house was a mess and I was like oh so you know you're, you're still in your pajamas the house is kind of a mess what have you been doing all day and it was good because I think another thing is just there's this empathy gap my husband is such a feminist and he's a wonderful man and he knows intellectually that it is a lot of work to run a household and take care of a child but until he spent that day where he was in charge he just did not get it Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so I don't know how to get past that experience gap, even for somebody like him who's educated and who affirmatively wants to be involved and is very egalitarian. He still didn't get it. So it, you said that you encouraged him to take that month of parental leave. Was that a negotiation or did, how did, what, how did that go? I mean, I was like, you need to do this. And so we are both state employees. So the way it works is that only one person can take leave at a time, technically. And so I'm, I'm a 12 month and he's a nine month. That's all kind of complicated. But I said, I want you to take a month of leave. He said, okay. He went into his chair and his chair was like, I don't understand what you're asking for. I mean, literally. And he had to go back to his chair multiple times. And the chair was like, oh, do you want a 10 year clock extension? Like he, re- they really just seemed like they had no idea what he was asking for. And this is Do they 2014. Not have in their department, what what is it? Mostly men. What, it's mostly men. Was... It's mostly older. And I just think a lot. I think I think it is hard. To, I think sometimes I do underestimate the extent to which um, breaking out of the gender norms is very difficult for men in the workplace as well. 
Um, and it actually has to take a lot of insistent affirmative action for men to do it. Um, and I think I'm inspired by some of the men I've seen in my workplace take leave. Like I have a colleague who years ago, I remember emailing him and getting an away message and he took several months of leave. He's like, I am taking leave, um, parental leave to care for my children. And it was very clear that he was going to be the primary caregiver. And that made an impression on me. And I think seeing that kind of set it up. And I also said, if we don't reset this, then I'm always going to be the primary parent because I've been on leave where I'm the primary parent. I'm staying at home. This is our first experience of parenting. If I don't intentionally shift it back, we're going to end up where it's all on me because that's how we've set it up. And unless we intentionally change it, it's just going to stay that way by default. So it's very important to me that I go back and he take leave and be the primary parent and that be the last thing before we started daycare to kind of shift that back. Um, and so he was open to it, but he, he's like, they, he said, he came back and he said, they said, there's no such thing. (laughs) And like, he was like, there's nothing I can do. And I had to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And finally he talked to a man who also works at his university, who lives near us, who said, oh yeah, they like are not going to get it. You just have to arrange it for yourself. You just have to change your teaching schedule. So it ended up that he had a full semester course and he just changed the dates when it started to compress it into the last half of the semester and so he taught a lot in that time period he taught twice as much a week as he would have and just taught it in a compressed form um and they didn't really care but he kind of had to make his own leave yeah i mean i i think this is often what we land on is that a lot of kind of institutions need to change that's kind of the root of a lot of this um, I also think a theme that is coming out of what I'm hearing you talk about and, and some of the other things we've talked about over the last half hour or so is, um, ex- opportunities for a man to engage in, um, a variety of, of things and not just a man for, for, for both partners. Yeah. Um, you talked about kind of feeling a little bit disempowered and like you need to know how to feed yourself. And I feel the same way about finances. Mm. I mean, my husband is a financial planner, so that (laughs) it makes it pretty like straightforward who does our finances. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if anything were to happen to our marriage or to him, I'm like a 1950s housewife when it comes to finances. And that's a problem. Um, So, I mean, I think we both, we all need to make an effort. I think part of the challenge with that is, is my, um, inclination to specialize mm-hmm. um, because I really am a big efficiency nerd and yeah. I I think it's efficient to just be like he's the finance guy I'm the cooking person and um, and and like I just said there are downsides there uh, on the other hand um, uh, I I think that right what you're talking about is that the exposure is is critical in terms of engaging somebody and empowering them to be able to do it and uh, right the me handing off the summer camp schedule was all it needed to happen um so i i'm trying to think of some of the themes that we're coming away with here i feel like the idea of segmentation which you've talked about or just having like these are your roles these are my roles helps relieve some of that invisible mental burden of just having to manage everything when you know you have some things to do, I have some things to do. And some of the things on the list 
is the stuff like summer camp, is the logistical stuff. So that's not all in one person's column. I think that's very attractive. And I think it's something that I try to do as well. But I like your larger point that it actually does put you at risk. It makes you very dependent on that other person, whether it's finances or cooking or childcare. And that's just attention. That is attention about being in deep relationship with somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the longer we're together, the the deeper those fissures go. Um, we've been together for almost 20 years. And there was a time Ben went out of town and the... Um, postal worker was like if you go out of town you need to notify us and ben was like somebody was here like an able-bodied adult was here she just doesn't pick she up does, the mail. she just never gets the mail louie doesn't get the mail like, either that's just not my thing yeah i don't do the mail but um so okay so i'm gonna pull out a couple themes yes. you pull out a couple themes i think definitely this issue of um, you know, the efficiency gain and the risk associated with a strict division of labor. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, another big um, theme is guilt and kind of compartmentalizing that and making the decision that that or, or acknowledging that that's a thing that influences the division of labor and needs to be addressed in some way. Yeah, I think another thing is just hiring things out to adapt to a work environment that doesn't really have a good model for dealing with two working parents and that that's like really a thing of privilege like I've started doing that I'm pregnant I'm tired I have a teenager who comes over a couple hours every evening just to like help me with my kid and fold laundry and just sort clothes and do stuff and it makes me able to like work and be present and still feel rested but it's not something everybody can do Hmm. um other themes that I think we brought up are kind of related to what you were just saying in some senses. Institutions and institutions need to change because the institutions in which we work were not built for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but without those kind of institution level changes, that normalizing these approaches to handling household division of labor is important. So the way we talk to our students, the way we talk to our colleagues about how we spend our time is important. Yeah. I think another theme is like, we've talked a lot about um, women who are partnered and have children. And I think, you know, this is a large proportion of our academic faculty. Um, But this is relevant even for women who are single, because a lot of the single women I know carry a lot of emotional labor and invisible labor in their larger families. Their families depend on them and they do a lot of care for their extended network. They often have deep groups in their communities and are really valuable people in their work communities and families. And so I think their labor is often even more invisible and hard to name. That's a great point. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of this relates to kind of how we define ourselves as women culturally. Um, and I think awareness, it doesn't go the whole way, yeah. but it goes some of the way. And you can fight upstream. Um, you can just keep swimming upstream to make the life you want to make. Uh, this is therapeutic. <laughs> I'm glad. So the summer think, camp thing think... is inspiring because I'm really not looking forward to that. There, I will give you our spreadsheet. You can just have our <laughs> spreadsheet. I know. It's awful. It is awful awful 
Um, but I'll, I'll also say Ben is going to be really happy to hear that I did not slam him. <laughs> Husband of the year. Husband of the year. Husband of the decade. <laughs> Tell him that he will get all the love from our listeners. And so I hope our listeners yes. do um, write us in, tweet us, email us about what they think about this and if they have come up with a solution and can tell Sarah what to do when she rules the world we'd love to hear it <laughs> and you can also if you if you don't have solutions just call yeah. and kvetch yes. you, you don't have to have any answers you could just share your stories Academes was produced by Sarah Birkin Mara Bookbinder and me Whitney Robinson our editors include Jonathan Young and Logan Castrodale we get administrative support from Victoria Asare, Tamara Hewson, and Molly Horrock. Our artwork is by Melissa Hudgens at Leafy Greens Design. You can reach us via Twitter at Academes Podcast, by email at academespodcast at gmail.com, or by leaving us a voicemail at 919-666-7301.